This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Good Tavach, Shavuot Tov, everyone. Uh, please continue to uh, help yourself to the buffet. I want to thank everyone for coming, for making this Malava Malka so special. A special thank you to um, all those who sponsored, contributed uh, to this very special Malava Malka. Um, Brian Judy Wallace, Zevni Ami Herzog, Mrs. Raquel Meese, Rabbi David Zvi Meisner, Rabbi Menachem and Miriam Deitch, uh, my, my parents, an anonymous sponsor as well. There'll be, there's opportunity for others to contribute tonight. Svarim will be available for purchase after uh, Rabbi Gladstein speaks. Each of the Svarim are uh, $30, and Rabbi Gladstein will personally sign them for you. And you also have an opportunity to contribute uh, to this beautiful event as well. Uh, tomorrow morning... We also have an opportunity to go to the cemetery to learn about some of the tzaddikim that are buried here, uh, together with Rabbi Gladstein. Uh, breakfast pickup will be at 9.45 uh, right here in the front lobby, and then uh, the bus will take off at 10 o'clock. It's really a unique opportunity. I encourage you to take advantage of it. It's not too late to sign up if you'd still like to take advantage of that. And we want to thank uh, the Penchayuga and the Markin families for sponsoring that a very special event in memory of Vladimir Markin. I've been very impressed with Rabbi Gladstein over the course of the entire Shabbos. He's really a phenomenal speaker. His content is rich and unique, and there's always something unexpected, some, some source with the exact line safer at where he found it, which, uh, which is always surprises me, and the delivery is, is engaging and inspiring, and I am delighted to, to hear from him again. His mission is Harbatzas Torah, and he's here to spread Torah, to share Torah with us, and after he speaks, I want to share with you even more opportunities uh, to partner with him in his mission in Harbatzas Torah. Have a glance. Thank you so much, Rabbi Yolt, for the very warm introduction once again. It's really been a true privilege and honor to get to know you and to see the amazing work that you've done in uh, helping revitalize uh, this Beis HaKnesses. And uh, I assure you, all members of the show, that you're quite fortunate to have such a Rav and Rebetzin as part at the helm of your Kehila. And I wish the Rav and Rebetzin many happy and healthy years of elevating the uh, state of Torah and this kihila in good health and happiness for all of your families. So I'd like to share with you this evening a unique perspective on the story of the Megillah by beginning with one particular question regarding a detail mentioned at the very end of the Megillah that always troubled me. The final chapter of Megillah Esther ends, and you would expect, you know, this is the real crescendo of the story. This is the summit of the story. This is the grand finale. This is the conclusion. Not only did God kill Haman and his ten sons and all the Amalekim and all the Persians, and not only are the Jewish people survived and thriving, 
But get a load of this, says the Megillah at the end of the story. You ready for the final segment of the Purim story? You wouldn't believe it. Achashverosh taxes the people. Isn't that great? That's the summit, that's the climax of the Purim story. That Achashverosh taxes the people. What in the world is that doing in Megillah Sester? And why is that the conclusion of the story? I would ask, who cares? That's what I would ask. Why is this recorded in the Megillah? And to add insult to injury, the very next Pasuk tells us the following principle. If you want to know the strength, the might, the political intrigue, the palace background, the historical context, Wrong book. You want to know the historical background? You want to know the palace intrigue? You want to know the politics of the time? This is not what this book is all about. For any of that information, go to the Chronicles of Persia Media, go to their great libraries, and you can read what we call the rest of the story. This book says in Megillah, as explained by Rabbi Cheskel Abramsky, Every detail in this book was written for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is Persume Nisa, to publicize the miracle. Every detail in the Megillah was recorded only to magnify the miracle. And in that case, we are authorized to ask the very fundamental and basic question, why in the world does Megillah's Esther conclude that Achashverosh taxes the people? I don't care if my president of the United States taxes the people, let alone the king of Persia. Why is this the summit of the Purim story? And the answer to this lays in five words in the Gemara Masech de Megillah, which really, to my mind, is the most important principle in the Megillah. The Pasuk says, The king said, No, who's in the courtyard? And who was it? Vihaman ba. Haman was coming. To the outer courtyard of the king. To tell the king. To hang Mordechai on what? It's on the tree. That he prepared for him. So literally the Pasuk says, Haman was coming to tell Achishosh to hang Mordechai on the tree that he prepared for him. And the Gemara is bothered the Pasuk should just say, Al Asher Heichin, on the tree that Haman prepared. Why does the Megillah have to add one word, Loi, for him? Obviously, Haman prepared the tree for Mordechai. Just say, Al Asher Heichin. Why say Loi? And the Gemara says two words. Tana, it was taught, Loi Heichin. Don't read it, Heichin Loi. Don't read it. That Haman prepared for Mordechai, but rather read it, Loi Heichen. Haman prepared it for himself. Haman thought he was making a gallows 50 amos tall to hang Mordechai. Little did he know that really Haman was making the gallows to hang himself. This is the central theme of Megillah's Esther. We're going to say in that little insert that we add to the Shemona Esrei of Purim, Hashem did two things for the Jewish people. Hefarta es He foiled their plot. Haman wanted to kill us. 
Hashem didn't let that happen. Haman wanted to annihilate the Jewish people. Hashem stopped the plan. He annulled his counsel. But then the tefillah adds, He corrupted his thoughts. What does that mean? That has another meaning. And this is a central theme of Megillah Sester, where God does not only annul the plan of the wicked, of the Russia. God tells the Russia, you pick the poison, you pick the plan, you pick the machination, I will hijack, co-opt, adopt your plan, and boomerang it back, right back at you. That is the fundamental principle of Purim and throughout history. God says, I don't need your president and your man in the White House and your prime minister in Israel to bring salvation to the Jewish people. You give me the biggest Sinai Yisrael. You give me the biggest anti-Semite. You let him plan the biggest threat against the Jew. And I will use his plan and his threat and your enemy to bring about what I want to bring about. That's the way God operates, and that is most evident in the story of Megillah Esther. Let me give you one demonstration before the story of Esther, and then a few in the story itself. So there's a man by the name of the Pharaoh. You remember him? He gets word, he gets an official WhatsApp Egyptian bulletin that the Savior of the Jewish people will be born on this and this day. So therefore he made a decree, Kal haben hayiloid any kid, we gotta throw him, we gotta, we have to throw every boy in the Nile and exterminate every boy because the Savior will be born today. And God is sitting in heaven and God is laughing at the Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh, you think your decree will bring an end to the Jewish Savior? Watch this, Pharaoh. Your very decree will bring about the grooming of the Savior. So, what happens? Moshe's mother, Yochebed, throws him into the river. He should have been dinner for the asp and the crocodile, like all the other Jewish babies. What happens? There's this Egyptian woman bathing in the Nile. She hears a little kid crying. He's a really cute kid, very adorable. She stretches out her arm. God makes a miracle. Her arm turns into, I don't know, 60 feet. She reels him in. She brings him into the palace, and she's rocking him to, to sleep. And Moshe Rabbeinu, he was a pretty good baby until 2 a.m. when this little baby started crying and Pharaoh from the other room says, Hey Basia, what's going on in your bedroom? What's all that noise? I hear a baby. What happened? You didn't tell me about the Mazel Tov? And he said, well, you know, I found this kid. He's really adorable. Actually, I'm very tired, Dad. Would you mind rocking him to sleep? So Basia brings the baby to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's, you know, rocking this little baby to sleep. And at 3 a.m., Basia says, you know, actually, we don't have any formula in the palace. You want to run out to CVS to get some formula? So Paro goes out to CVS. He gets formula. He gets a pacifier. He gets diapers. And then this kid is three years old. And they got to send him to nursery. Basia says, you know, Dad, I can't really afford it. So Paro foots the bill. And Paro pays for the kid's education. And Ibn Ezra writes, you know, why did Moses, why did Moshe Rabbeinu have to grow up in, in Paro's palace? Why couldn't he grow up among the rest of the Jewish people? So the Ibn Ezra says, because if Moshe Rabbeinu would have grown up among the rest of the Jewish people, he would have had slave mentality, he would have had a low morale, he would not have royal bearing, he would never been, have the appropriate demeanor to be a leader of the Jewish people. So he had to grow up in royalty. So he would come home at night and the Pharaoh would say, hey, 
Moses, you're going to be a leader one day, straighten out your tie, put your suit straight, stand tall, because one day you're going to be a leader. Says Ibn Ezra, who groomed Moshe? The Pharaoh groomed Moshe. You thought Moshe kibal Torah misinai? No, no, no. Pharaoh kibal Torah misinai. Paroi made Moshe. Without Paroi, there never would have been a Moshe. And how did Paroi make Moshe? Because he made a decree to annihilate all the Jewish boys. So because of that decree, God co-opted and he hijacked the plan of the Pharaoh. And th- through the decree, Paroi made Moshe Rabbeinu. You know, next time you get an Aliyah, make a Mishabech for Pharaoh. You never showed him the proper Hakara Satoiv. That's one example. Here's another. The Navi Ovadia. The Navi Ovadia has one parak in uh, Tanakh, in Shrei Asar, where he prophecies about the downfall of Edom. So the Gemara asks, why did Ovadia prophecy about the downfall of Edom? Because Ovadia came from Edomite converts. So the way God operates is that if somebody's going to prophecy about the downfall of Edom, it might as well be an Edomite, as the principle goes... Meneu be'aba, nezel be'inarga, from the forest itself comes the handle for the axe. That's how God operates. He allows, and if you know where that comes from, good for you. Okay, so, <laughs> so the, from the very forest, God cuts off the wood. He allows the wood to be cut off to create the handle for the axe that will chop down the forest. That's how God operates. He, he operates in ironic ways. He has the wicked carry out his mission so that if you just pull away the veneer, if you pull away the curtain, it's clear who's pulling the strings. Let's turn to the Purim story. So Haman comes to Ahasuerosh. And you know, Ahasuerosh is this really fickle guy. He's wishy-washy. One day he's a Democrat, one day he's a Republican, one day he's a communist, the next day he's an atheist. You know, you know the story of the guy who went to Warsaw and he could not believe what he saw. He came back to Minsk and he said, you know, in Warsaw I saw a guy, I saw a communist, I saw an atheist, I saw a Rosh Hashiva, I saw a Rav, I saw a Makubal, I saw a Democrat, a Republican, a Socialist. They said, we have all of that in Minsk. No, it was the same person in Warsaw. It was all the same guy. That was Ahasuerosh. So Haman knew that Ahasuerosh would change his mind very easily, so he had to create this like, obvious way to hang Mordechai so that it would be steering Ahasuerosh in the face. So the moment he decides that Mordechai should be hanged, he'll, just, he'll do it right away and he, and he won't have any second thoughts. So when Haman took a misstep with Esther and Ahasuerosh was fuming at Haman... And Chavonah says, oh, gam So Haman should have talked himself out of it. Haman should have said, relax, Achashverosh, I tripped over here and nothing. But he didn't have time because there, there was this gallows staring him in the face and he just saw it. And Chavonah said, Tolu, I love. So the entire plan of Haman to hang Mordechai backfired on him. And this is another example of not only Hefarta es Atzasoy, but also Kelkalta es Machshavtai. Here are a few more examples. It's incredible. So, you know, if you look in the Pesukim, regarding the decree that Haman sent out, the Pesuk says, V'nishlayach sifarim b'yad haratzim ha'kamadina is ha'melech Now, what did the document say? The document said, L'hashmid l'aroig uliabe, that all the Jews will be annihilated. But in the very next Pesuk, 
the Pasuk says that the Pashkavilin, the posters that were put up in all the cities, they said, Galoi lichol ha'amim, that which was revealed to all the nations, all it said was, Lihiyais asidim le'yayim hazeh. It didn't say that Haman would annihilate the Jewish people, it just said, Beware of the 13th of Adar, and it actually did not say what would happen on the 13th of Adar. So the Vilna Gun explains that Haman had a two-pronged approach. He told the governor, government and the officials that on the 13th of Adar, we're going to annihilate the Jewish people. But it was never made public knowledge to the common folk. So the signs that went up, Pashegen, Hakasav, Goloi, Lecholamim, all that said was, Beware of that day. Why didn't Haman officially write on the public documents what would happen on that day? Because he knew that if the Jews ever got wind of what would happen on 13th of Adar, we Jews would have done what we Jews do best. We would have taken out our checkbooks. We would have bribed the local officials. And they would have figured out a way to get us off the hook. As Shlomo HaMelech says, So, Haman didn't want the Jews to get wind of what was going to happen. So he told the governors what would happen, and he didn't tell the common folk. Listen to what the Rebbe Shalom did. So when Esther reveals that she's a Jew, and Esther says, this Haman wants to kill me, so Achishver says, what am I supposed to do about it? Nothing I can do about it. I can't retract my... I already sealed, I already gave my signet ring to, to seal the decree of Haman. Esther said, wait a second. The documents never said what would happen on the 13th of Adar. It just said, Beware of the Ides of March. Be ready for that day. So we could just flip the script, and instead of them killing us, we'll kill them. The Kachava. So who set the stage that instead of the Amalekim killing the Jewish people, we kill them? Haman's brilliant scheme never to write in the documents what exactly would occur on the 13th day of Adar. Now this is my second to favorite example. Sachajosh has a problem with his wife. Strange thing, right? I know in Cincinnati that doesn't exist. But he didn't know, his wife didn't listen to him. So what happens? He has to ask the Chachomim Yoidei Ho'itim. Who are these Chachomim Yoidei Ho'itim? The Vilna explains that technically if the queen doesn't listen to the king then tomorrow there's a new queen. I mean, that's how it always worked throughout history. But Achashverosh knew he needed Vashti because he had no royal blood and she was his claim to the throne. So he had to figure out a chap how to keep her. So he asked, Chachomim yoide ho'itim. Sages who knew the needs of the times, how to make a hayrasha, how to create a special one-time dispensation under the circumstances. Guess you a question. If you're the king of the world, you know the Gemara says Achashosh was Malach Bekipa, he ruled over the whole world. If you're the king of the world and you have a domestic issue with your wife, why are you asking people advice? I mean, Achashosh, he could have done whatever he wanted. He was the most powerful, one of the most powerful monarchs in world history and the most powerful monarch of the time. Why is he asking a congress what to do with his wife? Says the Vilna Gain, this is one of the basic questions on the Megillah. And the answer to this question is that there was a, rule, a law in Persia. And that is, 
Vayoimer Hamelech Lachachomim Yoideho Yitim Kichin Devar Hamelech Lefnei Kol Yoidei Dasvadim. The rule in Persia was that the king calls all the shots, and the king can make a unilateral decision, but not when it's relevant to the king himself. If it's relevant to him, he was legally required to ask the advice of his officials. Kichin devar hamelach. That was the requirement of the king. So I have a question then, asked the Vilna Gain. So why at the end of the Megillah, when Haman takes the misstep with Esther, and he's noifel al-mita, he fell on, on Esther. And Achshosh comes back in the room, and Achshosh is fuming, and Charvoino says, Gam hang him! By, and by Yomer HaMelech, Tululov, and I was just hang him. Why didn't Achishosh have to ask the Chachomim Yoideoyitim what to do? Why in the beginning of the Megillah, when Achishosh doesn't know what to do with Vashti, he's legally required to ask the advice of his officials, and at the end of the story, he's making a unilateral decision, making a decision all on his own. You know why? Because when Achishosh didn't know what to do with Vashti, there was a man by the name of Memuchan, and Memuchan said, Vayoimer Memuchan, Yitzay Dvar Malchus Milafanov. What do these words mean? Says the Vilna Gain, there's a man by the name of Memuchan, and he came to Achashverosh and he said, What kind of ridiculous law is it that here you're the king of the whole world and you can't decide on your own what to do with your wife? From now on, Yitzay Dvar Malchus Milafanov. From now on, you call all the shots, whether it's relevant to you, whether it's not relevant to you. No more chachamim yoidoitim, no more officials, no more advice. From now on, you call all the shots. Now why did Memuchan give Achashosh that idea? Because Memuchan wanted Vashti out. Because Chazal say that this Memuchan, Haman, was jealous of Vashti's power because Vashti didn't get along with Mrs. Haman and never invited Mrs. Haman to the parties. So Haman wanted to empower Achashverosh to knock off his wife so that his own wife would be advanced in the Malchus. So who is responsible for Achashverosh deciding to hang Haman at the end of the story without having to ask anybody else's advice? Haman himself. Yasher Kayach Haman. Haman is the one who passed the legislation in Persia that Achashverosh will be able to unilaterally knock him off and hang him on the tree, which is 50 Amos tall. And now we come to the most astounding example of all. You ready for the greatest divine irony of the Purim story? If you learn, say, for Ezra, we read about the Jewish people's return to the Holy Land after the 70 years of Golis Bavel. And the Jewish people were a broken people. They had no resources. And as much as they wanted to build the temple and restart the Avodah and the Beis HaMikdash, they couldn't afford it. So they turned to their dear king, Darius, Daryavesh, And they said, Dear King Daryavesh, would you do us a favor? You think you could help us out in the rebuilding of the temple? And Daryavesh says, well, What do you want from me? It's not my temple. Why would I want to help you? And the Pasuk says in Ezra, Perekvav, Psukim Chestrutes, that Daryavesh said, You know what? The Psukim say, Daryavesh, Darius opened up the treasury of the king. And he gave all the tax money of Persia to the Jewish people to rebuild 
the second temple. And I ask you one simple question. Where did Darius, son of Achashverosh and Esther, get all that tax money to rebuild the second temple? And the answer, I believe, is the concluding psukim of the Megillah. Vayasem ha-melech achashverosh mas al ha-aretz hayam that's why the Megillah ends and Achashverosh taxed the people. Because fast forward a few years, the Jewish people will need to rebuild the temple. They won't have the funds. Achashverosh will be gone. His son will open up the treasury and give all the tax money to rebuild the second temple. So watch how the story has come full circle. The story opens up. Achashverosh is having a party. What's he celebrating at his party? That the 70 years are up and the temple will never re- be rebuilt. That party, he brought out the Kalim of the Beis HaMikdash celebrating the eternal destruction of the second temple. He said if the second temple is not built, it will never be rebuilt. And Achashverosh, by the end of the story, Achashverosh has become the chief fundraiser for the construction of the second Beis HaMikdash. God is looking at him in heaven. He says, you're celebrating that the Beis HaMikdash will never be rebuilt. I'll use your plan of this party, this very party that's celebrating that the temple will never be rebuilt, will knock off your queen, you're going to marry Esther, you're going to pre- produce a Daryavesh who's going to give away all your money to rebuild the second temple. So really in the second base of Megdash, there should be a plaque that says this temple was donated by King Ahasuerosh. <laughs> and then mysteriously, the Navi says that he took all his silver and he gave it for the building of the second temple. And where did he get all that silver from? That's the 10,000 talents of silver that Haman gave Ahasuerus, that Ahasuerus used also to rebuild the second Mesa Mikdash. So really there should be two big plaques in the second Mesa Mikdash. Thank you Ahasuerus and thank you Haman. And that is the ultimate divine irony of the Purim story. At the beginning of the story, Ahasuerus is celebrating the temple will never be rebuilt. God says, you think this is a, a party of Chorban? This party will kill Vashti, will cause you to marry Esther, will bring about the building of the second temple. God always looks down and he sees, you know, we're getting worried. Who's going to be the President of the United States? Who's going to be the Prime Minister in Israel? What's going on in the Ukraine? As if like we think, only our man in the White House could help us. Only our man in Israel could help us. And God is saying, are you kidding me? Give me more credit than needing your guy in the White House and your guy in Israel to bring salvation to the Jewish people. Actually, I don't do things that way. God says, you give me the biggest son of Israel, the biggest Russia, and not only will I use him, you give me his plan, and I will hijack and co-opt his plan to bring about Yeshua is Fenachamais for Klal Yisrael. Because as the Talmidei Vilna Gain explain, when, when you live in an era where God is not openly revealed and displayed, and there are no open miracles that take place, how can we clearly see that it's Him? This is the most open demonstration of the hand of Hashem, where Hashem uses the Rasha and His very machinations, co-opts it, hijacks it, and uses it against Him to bring about salvations for the Jewish people. So, that's what we're all misfollow for. Megillas Esther. We ask Hashem to remove the concealment and give us 
insight into how it is Rebbe Hashem who's pulling the strings in this world. And the more we connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the more Hashem will open up our eyes and we should see very soon the ultimate salvation for the Jewish people with the coming of the Geula and may all our tax money now go to the building of the third base HaMikdash, Sheyibanev and Heav Yaminu Amen. Okay, good to vote. One second, move Shukriyach, everyone. Um, I, I want to fill you in with those details about how to, to partner with Rabbi Glassman with us in his Harbatzah Satorah. First of all, we have Svarim available on the back table, uh, available for purchase, $30 for each of these Svarim. We were able to get our hands on Rabbi Glassman's brand new Sefer on Purim from Art Scroll. I was trying hard to desperately try to get it. It was printed this past Wednesday, and with a lot of Siyatha Dishmaya, we're able to get copies here to Cincinnati in time for this very special weekend. So please take advantage of that unique opportunity. Rabbi Gladstone will be available to personally sign this firm that are purchased, and you can seize this opportunity to also partner with us in contributing to this special weekend and contributing to that to this Harbatsa Torah. There are additional opportunities as well. Um, Rabbi Gladstein has many, many shurim available on uh, Torah anytime. He has a website, rabbidg.com, and you can subscribe to his YouTube channel, to emails, there are WhatsApp, WhatsApp groups, and what he would like more than anything else is that you take out of the inspiration of this Shabbos to learn more, to connect more, and if there's any way where... His Torah can be spread further to you, to your friends, to your family, people that would appreciate what he has to teach. That would be the greatest gift. I wish you all a good tevach, and uh, may we be zochet to many more opportunities to learn and grow together. Shukaya. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.